Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, and we take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. You can always join us live each Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m. at our Rock Spring, Georgia campus, or at 11 a.m. at our Rossville, Georgia campus, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We made it. It's great to be back with you today at P. Vine, and I believe none of us are here by accident. Uh, matter of fact, I believe that God wants to use today to get you ready for 2020. Some of you thought you were ready for 2019, and uh, it didn't turn out <laughs> like you thought it would. I heard about two elk hunters that had contracted with a pilot to fly them on a little plane deep into the Northwest. They did this every year so they could spend a couple of days hunting for elk. And when they signed the contract with a pilot in the contract and all over the plane, there were signs that said, Max three elk, maximum three elk. That's all the plane would carry. So the pilot dropped them off deep into the woods. They spent two days hunting, killed four elk. The pilot was surprised when he flew back in to pick up the two hunters and their kill that they were dragging four elk out of the woods. He's like, guys, didn't you read the fine print? Didn't you see the sign? Maximum three elk. And they said, look, last year we did this. We do this every year. Last year, a pilot just like you flew us in on a plane just like that. And he said the same thing, but we put four elk on that plane and the plane took off. And the pilot said, wait a minute, you're telling me that you plane just like this, you put four elk on that plane and the plane took off with the four elk. They said, yes, I'm telling you the plane can do it. Four elk will work. It'll be fine. So the pilot said, okay, I'm making an exception this time. So they put the four elk on the plane, the two hunters and the pilot on there. The, pilot, the plane takes off. The plane gets off the little grass runway, sputters and spits and gets about 100 feet, flies a couple miles that way. And finally, it just, it just goes down. I mean, the plane just crashes. Well, the two hunters are crawling out of the wreckage. And one hunter looks at the other hunter and says, where you reckon we are? And the other hunter looks back and says, looks like about the same place we crashed last year. <laughs> Some of you feel like that at the end of 2019. And you're thinking, Lord Jesus, I hope it's different in 2020. I gave it my best shot. I tried my hardest, but I'm struggling. And I believe that today is a strategic Sunday as we stand on the threshold of a brand new year. Not just any year. How many of you agree with me? Something just sounds different when you say 2020. I mean, it sounds like it ought to be a big year, shouldn't it? And I believe it ought to be a big year. As a matter of fact, I want to give you something today that I believe really is the only way to live the Christian life in 2020. As a matter of fact, I believe it's the only way to live the Christian life, period. Matter of fact, in one verse, I'm going to show you something that puts the Christian life literally in 2020. I hope that you carry it the rest of your life. Here we are standing on the edge of 2020. I want to give you some truth to help you live the Christian life in 2020. I want to put the Christian life in 2020. Will you please turn in your Bibles to Galatians 2.20? Now, <laughs> that's good right there. I don't care who you are. That's good right there now. Galatians 2.20, all right? One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And what I want to do is, I want to, I want to do this. I want to give you four unchanging truths about the Christian life that'll help you live this life for Jesus like you've never lived a life for Jesus before. It's going to be unbelievable. Matter of fact, if you go to a mechanic and, and your tires aren't wearing right, the mechanic will probably tell you something like this. He'll say, the problem is your, your car is out of 
alignment, out of alignment. And so when, when you're not in alignment, you get unusual and excessive wear. Are you with me? Some of y'all are wore out here at the end of 2019 because you are out of alignment with one of the, these four truths to the degree that we do not believe and receive one, some, or all of these four truths, we will wear ourselves out trying to serve God. And to the degree that we believe and receive these four truths, I'm telling you, we can live a life for Jesus like we can hardly imagine sitting here this morning. These four truths are critical. They're true. They've been true ever since Jesus rose from the grave, but they're going to be true till Jesus comes. We need to receive these truths. I'm telling you, I believe this is going to be one of the most strategic things you ever hear in your Christian life. As a matter of fact, young people, when I wish when I was 15, 16, 17, growing up in church, that somebody had shared this with me. Now, let's read the verse together, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Matter of fact, I, a lot of people read verse 20 without reading verse 19. Now, verse 19 says uh, in the last line that I might live for God. If you want to live for God in 2020, say, I do. If you want to live for God in 2020, say, I do. So, so we end 19, the way verse 19 ends, right? 2019, I want to live for God in 2020. Well, what is chapter two, verse 20 telling us all about it? Number one, here we go. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ, number two, lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who, number three, loved me and number four, gave himself for me. Let's read it again. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, that is in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Father God, I pray you would unfold truth to our heart. May we receive, may we comprehend, and then may we respond in faith and live out this truth every day. Lord, receive glory from our lives in verse 20, in, 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 in 2020, like never before. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, what are those four truths? Number one, first of all, the Christian life is a crucifixional life. Write that down. The Christian life is a crucifixional life. What is the first thing that he says in that verse? He says, I have been crucified. And the context of verse 19 is living for God. The first thing I've got to understand if I'm going to live the victorious overcoming Christian life is that it is a crucifixional life. In other words, God didn't want to improve yourself. He wants to remove yourself. The core of the call of the call of Jesus is take up your what, church? Because it's a crucifixional life. Let me ask you this. What did you bring to the table in saving yourself? Can you do anything to save yourself and get saved? Watch, Benny tells the story about being swimming out with some friends at a lake. And one of his friends was way out in the water and he got a leg cramp and he started to drown. And he said, all of our eyes went to the one among us who is a trained lifeguard who is sitting in a chair on the beach on the shoreline. And so naturally, we looked to him because we'd assumed that seeing the man drowning, he would dive in and save him, but he didn't. He just sat there, stoic, staring as the man was blub, 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 up and down, seemingly almost for the last time. We're thinking, why isn't the most capable among us even making an attempt? He said, finally, when our friend seemed to go down for the last time, drowning, our lifeguard friend jumped up out of his seat, dove into the water, dragged the man to shore, pumped the water from his lungs and saved his life. Watch, my knee says, I was mad and glad at the same time. 
I was glad my friend had saved him, but I saved him, but I was mad because he waited so long. We asked him, why did you wait so long? We almost lost him. And he said this, as a lifeguard, he understood that as long as a drowning man is attempting to save himself, he cannot be saved because the efforts that he exerts to save himself not only are futile, but will inhibit the efforts of the one who's attempting to save him. It is not until he entirely gives up that he can finally be rescued. (laughs) Do you understand that we got in to this Christian life? We got in to salvation predicated on a confession that we couldn't save ourselves. We got nothing in us good worth saving. We can't exert any effort that'll make the difference. Only Jesus can save. He has to do it all. If that's true, and we believe that, and it is, then why in the world are we so easily convinced that God needs so much of our help to live the Christian life after we get saved? Performance-based Christianity does not work. You'll be exhausted and resentful and still left pleasing, uh, still left feeling like you hadn't pleased God. And what Jesus wants you to do is not try harder or work more. He wants you to get up on a cross and die. Take up that cross daily. Why? Because it is not only a crucifixional life, it is also an incarnational life. It is no longer I who live, okay, Paul, who lives in you. Christ lives in me. It is an incarnational life. Now, now, now I want you to think about this. Jesus (laughs) lives, if you're saved, inside of you. We're talking about, listen to me, God the Father, God the Son, and God the, and your pastor's been preaching on that, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the triune God lives inside of you in the person of Jesus. God who made everything, Jesus seated at the right hand of God, and the Spirit of God lives inside of you. Do you hear what I'm saying, friend? Listen to me. Jesus lives inside of you. The same Jesus who walked on the water. The same Jesus who, who healed blind eyes and lame legs. The same Jesus who fed 5,000 with the boys fish and chips. The same Jesus who called Lazarus out of a four-day grave and got up out of his own lives inside of you in the face of every temptation, in the face of every opposition, in the face of every discouragement, in the face of every satanic attack, Jesus lives inside of us. Wow. I'm so excited I'll say that backwards. Wow. Upside down. Mom. That is a big deal, Rossville. Amen. Jesus lives inside of us. Now, when you think about this, scientists tell us that if you were to take away the power of gravity, which holds the earth suspended from the sun and keeps it from flinging into outer space, if you were to replace that power of gravity that holds the earth in place with a rod of steel of equal strength, that the rod of steel would have to be 3,000 miles in diameter to be as strong, to be strong enough to replace gravity that is there now. Now, we don't have a rod of steel that holds us in place from the sun, keeping us from slinging from the inertia into outer space. We've got gravity. Through gravity, a bird can fly with ease. Through gravity, the song of that bird can be heard miles away, depending on the species. Scientists still cannot explain that. I wish they were here today because I'm about to. G-O-D, God. (laughs) That's the explanation. It's the power of God. 
We take it for granted because it's been there before we got here. It's been there all our life and it'll be here after we're gone. But I'm telling you, it is in him we live and move and have a very being. It is in him that all things hold together. The only reason that we are even molecularly aligned sitting here this morning is because God is exerting his power over the universe. Amen. And I'm telling you, when you get saved, the power of that God comes to live inside of you, to live his life through you. Listen to me. It is a crucifixion life, incarnational life, meaning God is not looking to see what you can do for him in 2020. He is looking to see what you'll let him do through you in 2020. Hey, there's a difference. How about this verse, Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the... Okay, so the glory of God is the standard. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the standard. We've all sinned and fallen. Sin means to miss the mark. We've missed that mark. Now, let me give you another verse about glory that's a little more obscure. It's Colossians 1.27. And Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen to this. Christ in you is the hope of glory. You say, I still don't get it. All right, let me illustrate. What if God said that we had to golf par in order to go to heaven? What if God said you had to golf par in order to go to heaven? Honey, don't even crank up the golf cart. I don't even putt-putt good. Y'all with me? Golf par to go to, forget it. But what if there was a way to get Tiger Woods into my body? Tiger Woods. Here he is. Tiger Woods in my body. Guess what? Now there's hope of par. <laughs> Amen? Listen, I can't do it, but has he done it? Yes, not just once, but uh, multiple times. Matter of fact, he went out and he made a comeback. Here he is again doing it all over again. Unbelievable. I can't do it, but he can. Listen, listen, I can't live the Christian life, but Jesus can. Listen, the Christian life comes in three stages. One is the Christian life is easy. Do you remember that stage? When you got saved, man, the sun was shining, the birds were singing, angels were picking their harps, and the Christian life was easy. You loved going to church. You loved reading your Bible. It was easy to say no to temptation. You're thinking, man, why didn't I get saved sooner? The Christian life is easy. That don't last long, does it? Then you go to phase two. Phase two is the Christian life is difficult. It's difficult living for God. It is difficult living for Jesus. I'm wearing a white hat and a black hat world. I'm going upstream and a downstream world. I'm not in heaven yet. I'm behind enemy lines. It is hard living with Jesus. The Christian's life is difficult. That's stage two. But God doesn't leave you there either because he's trying to get us to stage three. Stage one, the Christian life is easy. Stage two, the Christian life is difficult. Stage three, the Christian life is impossible. Impossible. You can't live it. I can't live it. Your pastor can't live it. Nobody kill it. And I'm telling you, I, I, I got liberated when finally, one, one day after I'd exhausted myself in ministry, exhausted myself in family roles, exhausted myself in all my duties, stretched myself across the bed in tears, and I announced to God, I quit. Now, I had always thought that if Scott Smith ever looked at the heavens and said, I quit, I'm out, I give up, then God, that, that all of a sudden sirens would start going off in heaven and angels would start running back and forth and God would 
would start biting his nails and throwing shots back. Oh no, what am I going to do? Scott Smith quit the day I looked at God and said, I quit, I give up. God said, great, it's about time. (laughs) You've been getting in the way ever since I saved you. I didn't need your help to save you and I don't need your help to make something out of you. Christ lives in you and he's enough. He's enough. He's the hope of glory. Here's the application. Let me tell you something. Jesus can be a better husband than you can. Jesus can be a better spouse to your spouse than you can. Jesus can raise your kids better than you can. Jesus can reach your school better than you can. And Jesus wants to do all those things through us by his power and his strength because it's his life. Do you understand that he doesn't want to give you joy? He is your joy. (laughs) He doesn't want to give you strength. He is your strength. He doesn't want to give you life. He is your life. This is an incarnational life. Jesus, zipped up in skin, yours. To the degree that you live as if it is true, that it is a a crucifixional life. To the degree that you believe and receive it is an incarnational life. You'll gain victory. But also, the third thing this verse tells us, it's, it's an incarnational life by faith. Actually, I almost left that out. I'm glad it's on the slide. That's important. The life which I now live in the flesh and the body, I live by what? Faith. By faith. How important is faith? I was shocked when I saw how central faith was in living the Christian life. Faith is the key. The righteous shall live by what? So there's no hope for me being righteous and living a righteous life as a husband, as a father, as a witness, as a steward, as a minister, as a preacher, as anything apart from faith. What else? Well, the book of Hebrews tells us that without faith, it is highly unlikely you'll please God. That's not what it says. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, I thought that was radical, but then it got more radical than that. The Bible says in Romans 14, 23, anything that does not come from faith is anything that doesn't come from faith is sin. Anything that doesn't come from faith is sin. Anything means everything. Everything means anything. Anything that doesn't come from faith is sin. We think about sin as like, you know, addicted to pornography and a temper problem and alcohol and you cuss all the time. Listen, sin is a lot of things. And according to this verse, anything that doesn't come from faith is sin. Listen to me. Anything even means things attempted for God. So what do you mean, Scott? Well, all right. It's Sunday morning. We'll say on two different sides of the county, there are two churches and Two different men are stepping up to preach this morning. In one church, there's a man that's preached the sermon he's about to preach a thousand times. He knows the sermon by heart. Every illustration is how it ought to be. Every time he preaches that sermon, people get saved. He's preached it a thousand times. He doesn't even need his notes. He knows that sermon up one side and down. Now he's about to preach it for the thousand and one time, and he's ready. Across town at another church, there's a guy whose pastor is out because it's holiday weekend, and he told this young man that's about to preach, can you preach when I'm gone? And the guy said, I've never preached before. And the pastor said, well, do the best you can. And he's about to stand up and preach a sermon, and he's never preached before in his life. 
He's nervous, yes. He's trying to memorize it, yes. He's been working on it, yes. Ruined his holidays. That's all I thought about is that sermon. He's about to stand up and preach that sermon. Here's a man on one side of the county preaching a sermon he's preached a thousand times. Knows it by heart. People always get saved when he preaches it. Here's another man across the county preaching the first sermon he's ever preached in his life. Let me ask you the question. Which one needs the most faith? Now, we tend to say the guy that's preaching that sermon and serving God in that way for the first time, that he needs the most faith. He's got the least amount of experience. But here's the truth. They both need the same faith. (laughs) But you know as well as I do that the guy with all the experience and the guy with all the gifts and the guy with all the knowledge, he's going to tend to have the least amount of faith because he's going to tend to rely on his experience and rely on his skills and rely on his knowledge and rely on his memory. Listen, that is why in 2020, your greatest strength can become your greatest weakness to the degree that it displaces helpless dependence on the power of God in your life. Faith is key for this incarnational life. All right, number three. It's a devotional life. He says in that verse, he says, who who loved me, and gave himself. Here's the bottom line. Listen, it's a devotional life. Jesus loves you. You say, yeah, but but I've been mad at God. Jesus loves you. Scott, you have no idea what I did that last last week. I knew what was wrong, and I did it anyway, and I said it anyway. Jesus loves. You, Scott, I have not been in church, at church in months. I, I mean, I, I've been so distant from God. Jesus loves you. I'm telling you, one of the greatest truths of the Christian life is that we are a people in need of loving, and he has more than enough abundant love, and so he solves the problem that we need. We've got to understand that he loves us, and that's enough. Why? Because to the degree that I don't believe that right there, to the degree that I do not believe and receive that that's enough, I will go out my room door, go into a world, and I will milk and manipulate relationships and people to try to meet my love needs and shore up my insecurities through more performance. I'll try to do everything I can to get more likes and more pats on the back and more approval and more check boxes. I I mean, that's, that's why we buy things we don't need, spending money we don't have to impress people we don't like. I'm telling you, some of us, that's the word for you today because you are addicted to people's approval and that is not what God wants for you in the Christian life. And that is set in the agenda. That is the God of your life. And it sets the schedule every day. It sets what you do first thing in the morning. It sets how you feel at the end of the day. And I'm telling you, here's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to fill your love bucket so full that you're overflowing. So when you finally walk out of that time with him, you are so convinced and convicted that he loves you more than anything and that you love his love for you is enough that you can go out to a world of broken people and share and send out the love that he filled you up with, amen. You can love and serve with no strings attached. Thank God, it is a devotional life. Amen, y'all with me? Gonna give you another one? Here's another one. It's a substitutional life. He says, who loved me, watch this, and gave himself for me. Young people, I want you to listen to me. Jesus did not die as a great teacher. 
Jesus did not die as a martyr for a cause. Jesus did not die as a moral example. He died as the Lamb of God prophesied in the Old Testament, the sinless substitute on our cross for our sins. 100% of the stored wrath of God that should have been justly poured out on me for all eternity in hell for my sins was placed instead on Jesus. And the Bible says that is called a substitution. That's what we call substitutional atonement. So, so what does that mean? What that means is Jesus died for me. Now, did Jesus die for me? Okay. Did he die for you? Okay, here's what that means. He, if Jesus died for me, here's what it means. He died as me. So when Satan comes in and says, Scott has sinned and he deserves to die in hell forever for his sin. God says, nope, he's already died. How? Because in Ephesians chapter two and Romans chapter six, it tells us that he united us together with him on the cross. We've been crucified with Christ. He died for me means he died as me for my sins. By the way, did it end there? No, because when he died, what'd they do? They buried him. And the Bible says in Ephesians 2 and Romans 6 that he united with us in his, we were united with him in his burial. So he was buried for me in the same way he died for me, which means he was buried as me. So when Satan tries to remind you of your past, just remind him of his future. God buried it. It's buried. And then it didn't end there. Jesus didn't stay in the tomb. Can I get a witness? Three days later, up from the grave, he arose. And the Bible says he made us alive with him. So when he came out, we came out brand new creations. Why? Because he died for me. He died as me. He was buried for me. He was buried as me. He rose for me. He was raised as me to walk in newness of life. And by the way, it didn't stop there because he ascended. And do you know that he ascended for you as much as he died for you and was buried for you and was raised for you and you were just as united with him in his ascension as you were his burial and his, his crucifixion and his resurrection. Did you know that? So in other words, he wasn't just, listen, he didn't just die as you. He wasn't just buried as you. He wasn't just raised as you. He ascended to the right hand of God as you. And that's why the Bible can talk about your death being in past tense and your life with him being present where it says in Colossians, do not say Set your affections on things down here, but up there where your life is hidden with Christ in God. So if you're asking me if I'm going to heaven when I die, you're wasting your time because I'm already there. You say, Scott, do you really understand all that? No, but I don't understand airplane cockpits either. I don't have to have enough faith to fly the thing. I just gotta have enough faith to get my strony rear end into the seat so I can let the pilot take me where he wants me to go. Amen. I don't understand it all, but it's true. It is a, it is a substitutional life. And by the way, we are as much his substitute here as he was on the cross. We are his, listen, they won't hear it if they don't hear it from our voice. We are his hands, we are his feet, because it's an incarnational life, it's a substitutional life, it's a crucifixional life, it's a devotional life. You say, Scott, I, 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 want, I want to see that happen in my life in 2020. 
But, but what does that look like? I mean, his life through me. Well, I, I brought with me, I, I brought with me a, a, a kind of an object lesson here. I've, I've got with me this dirty white cotton glove. You see that glove? Man, there's a world of truth in that glove. And, and, I, and, and, and so I brought this glove with me. I've also, before I came out here, I, I, took, I just took a random book off of uh, Daniel's sh- uh, shelf in his office. It's a book on, on heaven that he's reading right now because when he gets there, he plans to be the administrator. And so, <laughs> so I've got this, just a book on, on heaven and, uh, and I've got this glove. Now, now I'm going to ask a question and I want you to answer the question and, and, and I don't want you to answer it out loud. I, I, want, I want you to vote. We're, gonna, we're Baptists this morning, so we will vote. And, and it, it is a yes or no question. Uh, it requires a yes or no answer. There's no yes and or no but. It's just yes or no. Now, now you have to vote, okay? If you do not vote, you are either a coward or you're on staff, okay? So, because staff guys don't vote because they can't be wrong, right? So there's no, actually, there's, there's no right or wrong. There's no right or wrong. There's no right or wrong answer. There's grace in the house. Everybody say grace. grace. There's grace in the house. And so we're going to vote. So give your honest answer. No ifs, ands, or but don't say anything. Just, just we'll vote. Here's the question. Get your answer ready. We'll vote. Ready? Here's, here's the question. The question is, can this glove pick up this book? Don't speak. Can this glove pick up this book? How many of you would say, Yes, that glove can pick up the book. Raise your hand. Go ahead. Raise them. Raise them. Own it. All right. How, how many of you would say, no, it cannot. It cannot pick up the book. All right. All right. Put your hand down. How many of you did not vote? Okay. You can apply to be on staff starting today. Okay. All right. All right. All right. I'll answer both. I'll, I'll answer both. Okay. But just bear with me. No, no, the glove can't pick up the book. Look at the stupid thing. But it can't pick up the book. Why? Here's why. I didn't tell it to. So I'm going to tell the, the glove to, to pick up the book. Okay, glove. Now, pick up the book. Anytime. It's going to happen. You say, Scott, that, that glove can't pick up that book by being told to pick up that book. And guess what? 90% of what we do in churches is oriented around telling people in some shape, fashion, or form to go live for Jesus. And we can't just go live for Jesus by being told to go live for Jesus any more than that glove can pick up that book by being told to pick up that book. Oh, I know what the problem is. I didn't tell it. I didn't tell it How? Excuse me. Mr. Glove, I think you can do this. If you'll just flip yourself over on your back, take a run and start, and slide the forefingers underneath the bottom of the book, throw your thumb over the top, press with equal pressure on both sides, and lift, you can pick up that book. Now do it. Now, now was, I, was I accurate in what I told it? Yes. Now, how, how many books are flying off Christian bookshelves every year? How many new studies are coming out on Right Now Media or showing up in a box in your home for another Bible study? Listen, you ought to look at those things. You ought to read those things, but understand that in spite of having so many people and preachers and writers and authors tell us how to live it, we don't do it more than two weeks at a time. Tell ain't working. Oh, <laughs> I, I see now. The club's not motivated. 
That is an unmotivated glove. Lift the book. See how unmotivated. So, excuse me, I, I got I to gotta motivate my glove. I, it's, I'm just going to try. I, I never did this in high school, so I don't know if it'll work now, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to motivate my glove. Rah, rah, shishpoomba, 20, 20. Pick up the book. You can do it. You can do it. Spirit. You say, Scott, it ain't going to work. You can't motivate that glove enough, but how many people stand up in Sunday school or in pulpits or even with music and we think, man, if we just get them jacked up enough, if we can just feel it and get them feeling it, man, if we can just get them in the groove, listen to me, it doesn't work. I'm not saying you won't emote with God. I'm not saying you won't have an emotional component. We do in this church. This is a celebratory church, but understand you are mind, will, and emotions. Mind, will, and emotions. And the most fickle part of those three, the, the part that changes with every wind, the part that can be ruined by bad pizza too late at night, the one part of us that is changing the most is our emotions. Yet we judge 90% of things spiritual as to whether they're true spiritual or not by how they make us feel. Why do we keep expecting God to do his deepest work in our shallowest part? That glove. Oh, I got it. The glove's not disciplined. See how undisciplined that glove is? That is an undisciplined glove. Can you see that? I mean, that is one undisciplined, lazy glove. Matter of fact, he's so undisciplined, he just conforms to whatever he's in, with, or around. There's not enough force being exerted on the inside that keeps him from conforming to whenever he is in, with, or around on the outside. You know any Christians like that? It's an undisciplined glove. When I was, when I was raising my daughter, I, I never like to do this in public. It's going to be a little awkward, but if you'll bear with me, I, I've got I've to discipline my glove. You good-for-nothing glove if you were or it's anything at all. You start picking up some books. Don't embarrass me like this. Pick up the book. Hey, let's be honest. There's some entire churches built on that model. Man, you know what I'm talking about? It's all about one thing. You go to that church and it's like, man, that preacher gets up there. There's no grace. There's no love. He just rips and snorts and, and honks and he goes back and forth. And you think, man, what did that guy do all week? Just sitting in his study all week thinking, how can I cuss him out this Sunday in the name of Jesus? I mean, where can I, you know, he don't even think he's preached good till he lops everybody off at the shoulders and they walk out with their heads in their hands going, thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. And the place will be packed. And they'll go back every week. Why? Because, because I really messed up this week and, and I really blew it this week and I'm really feeling guilty and I have a guilty conscience and, and the best thing to do for a guilty conscience is get a good spanking. And so I know my preacher's gonna spank me good this Sunday. So I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna let him beat me up real good and he's gonna make my conscience feel a whole lot better so I can finally go out and do it all again next week. Hey, some of us parent like that. Some of us preach, teach like that. Some of us, listen, there's a place for rebuke. There's a place for accountability. There's a place sometimes to love and give a hard truth. But understand that when there's no grace, Jesus ain't there, man. The fact of the matter is, so many of us try to motivate through guilt, even ourselves. And guilt is a lousy motivator. It lasts for hours, then it evaporates. 
and there's usually not much left. That ain't it. I see the problem. <laughs> it's dirty. That's why I can't pick up the book. It's disqualified for service. We got to remove the stains. So Denny, at your house, what kind of detergent do you use? Tide. Tide. Okay, Tide. <laughs> why did Buckwheat take a bath in Tide? Because it was too cold out Tide. And... <laughs> They're over there going, who's buckwheat? <laughs> if you laughed at that, you're old, okay? So, <laughs> so, so, so I send the glove home with Denny and he washes it in Tide and dries it and brings it back in and it's white as snow. And I, and I say, okay, glove, now the disqualification's been removed, pick up the book. Is it going to do it? And so, so we come to God and we say, God, I really want to serve you. And you know how I can serve you now? Because I am forgiven and I've been washed of all my sins. Now that is important, yes. But while forgiveness may remove the disqualification, it does not insert any power to serve. So if all you're offering to God is the fact that you've been forgiven, you're just offering him a blank in 2020. And there's more, so let's get to it. How many of you said, yes, the glove can pick up the book? Raise your hand. Now I'm going to let you speak. The glove can pick up the book if what? <laughs> Thank you. I know some of you have been dying, dying. It sounds like, get to the put your hand in it part. Man, I know where you're going with this. Okay. All right. Hands in the glove. Pick up the book. Pick, picking up. Picking up. Now, what you told me was accurate, but it was not adequate. I mean, if you look at the definition of hand, it's everything above the wrist, and everything above the wrist is inside that glove. And so a lot of you said, you know what? I need Jesus. I need Jesus in my heart. And so you asked Jesus to come into your heart, and you got saved, and now you're struggling, and you're thinking, man, maybe I didn't get all of Jesus. It's not that all of Jesus isn't in there. It's that he's just still knotted up on the inside of your life while you try to solve your problems and serve him by applying more glove power. Forgetting the glove does not have any. What's the answer? The answer is found in verse 19 of chapter 4. I want you to look with me. Chapter 4, Galatians, verse 19. Verse 19 of chapter 4, Paul writes... And he says this, my little children. Now, were they his kids, biological kids? No, no, no. He wasn't their biological father. He was their spiritual father. He had led them to Jesus. So he says, my little children, my spiritual children, for whom I labor in birth again. What does again mean? Again means twice. This is the second time he's laboring for them. The first time was he was laboring to get them into Jesus. Now he's laboring to get them into victory in Jesus. Y'all with me? The first time was to get them saved. The second time was to get them to be overcomers as saved people. He says, I'm laboring in birth again until Christ is, say it, formed in you. Listen, 
there are two words in the Greek that are translated formed in English. The first word is the word schema. We get our word schematic from that word. It means outward formation. For instance, if I were to bring in a lump of clay, set it on the pulpit, push it, prod it, poke it, that's schema, formation. That is not the word Paul used here. The word he used here was another word translated formed. It's the word morphe. We get our word metamorphosis from that word. When you were in grammar school, you studied a certain critter that exemplified metamorphosis. What was it? It was the caterpillar. And he turned into a butterfly. Didn't eat the same, didn't look the same, didn't, transportation was different, everything's different from the butterfly, from the caterpillar. He might have had the same memories, but he lived a different life. That's the word, morphe. That's the word he chose here when he said that Christ may be formed in you. In, in other words, he didn't use schema, he used morphe. It is not an outward change working its way in, it is an inward change working its way out. It is not change through outward pressure, it is change from inward power. Better than that, an inward person, and his name is Jesus, that Christ may be more fully formed in you. Do you know that's the point of everything? That's the point of all this. That's the point of the worship. That's what, listen, you know how you go to worship because you like to worship and the worship's good and you just go to that other church and they had dead worship. So you go to this church because it's live worship and you love live worship. So, so you stop that. You, you, you know how you go to church so they'll see you at church because if you don't go to church, you'll get a note say, why weren't you at church? And I won't see you at church next time. Hope you come back to church. And if you don't go to church, they'll say, why weren't you at church? And if you go to church, they'll see you at church. So leave you alone about going to church. Stop that. You, you know how you study your Bible so that when you go to the small group, you can talk about the Bible stuff and quote verses and they'll know how smart you are and how much of the Bible you know. And that's why you study your Bible. Stop that. You, you know how you have the quiet time every four days or so so that you can ease your guilty conscience about not having your quiet. Stop that. Why do you worship? Why do you hear the sermon? Why do you learn the Bible? Why do you teach the class? Why do you go to the class? Why do you have your quiet time? All of those, same answer, that Christ may be more fully formed in me. The Christian life is not about straining, it's about containing. It's not how much the flesh can accomplish, it's how much faith will allow for the life of Christ, he is looking for people to be his transportation and his full expression of himself in 2020. Why? Because God's got some books for you to pick up. God's got some tasks, some challenges, some service, some ministry, some things to undertake, and you can't do it with a power of glove. But I know this, here's what I've learned. This glove can do anything that hand can do if it cooperates with, remains surrendered to, yields to the power and the presence of that hand. So that in 2020, when God looks at you and says, this is your task, this is your call, this is your challenge, this is the temptation, this is the opposition, this is the uphill run, this is the, the ministry you're called to do that you can say, I'm ready, not because I'm ready, but because he's in me and he's always ready.
Amen? Would your prayer be, listen, on the threshold of a brand new year, could, you, could your prayer be this? Jesus, be more fully formed in me. Be more fully formed in me as a husband. Be more fully formed in me as a dad, as a mom. Be more fully formed in me as a steward. Be more fully formed in me as a teacher, a preacher, a minister. Be more fully formed in me as a servant, a giver. Be more fully formed in me as a leader, administrator. Be more fully formed in me. Jesus, be Jesus in me, Denny. This is what we used to sing. Jesus, be Jesus in me. No longer me, but thee. Resurrection power. Fill me this hour. Jesus, be Jesus in me. Let's all stand. In Rossville and here, let's stand to our feet. Could we bow our heads a moment? Many of us have already been thinking about the new year. We've been making promises to ourselves. Promises to God. And most of those promises revolve around what we are going to try to do. And God said, crucify all that. Give it up. Stop. Where will you let the life of Jesus flow through you instead? Where will you let the power of Jesus flow through you instead? Where will you... Let Jesus be more fully formed. Could you come maybe to this altar this morning? Maybe a husband or a wife would grab the hand of your spouse. Maybe a family might come, some families together. Maybe students would come together and they would say, you know what? I want more Jesus in me at school. I want more Jesus in me in my home. I want more Jesus in me in my challenges. I want more Jesus in me in my peaks and valleys. I want more Jesus in me at my workplace. I want more Jesus, more Jesus. Jesus be fully formed in me. Thank you that you love me and your love is enough. Thank you that you died for me in my place. Thank you there's a cross I can carry that'll set me free for the Jesus life to be released in me. Would you come? Would you give that to God this morning? It might make all the difference. Father, we love you. We thank you for grace. We thank you for cleansing. We thank you for forgiveness. And we thank you that the motivation is you. The heartbeat is you. The power is you. The strength is you. The direction is you. The answer is you and all that. So God, I pray today we'd be fixated on you and being more fully formed in us. So many needs, so many challenges, so many things to do. God help us to be more full of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. For more information about Peavine or to get in touch with us, please visit our website, peavine.org. Thanks for listening.